Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we first confess your authority as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you alone are God and there is none like you. And it is you alone who has the obligation and the authority to tell us not only how to live, but to tell us who we are. So God, I ask as we come to contentious issues in our day, that you would grant softened hearts, that the goal would not be offense, but the goal would be the blessedness that comes from repentance and faith in Christ to grant us tenderness and patience with one another. Would you grant hearing ears and seeing eyes? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So today, O oh God, would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. John Knox said, uh, that he never, he trembled for no one, for no man. If you know John Knox, it sounds about right. Not that you would know him personally. He died just a few years before some of you were born. In like the 1500s. Yes. So John Knox, doesn't matter. Okay. Um, but he said that he doesn't tremble for any man or any person, but he only trembled when he came into the pulpit. So it is with that spirit that we want to move ahead. It's not my goal to pour gasoline on burning fires. 
But there is nowhere in our culture today where there is greater confusion than on this issue of gender and sexuality, nor possibly is there any other area in our culture and society where greater devastation is being wrought upon people than in this area of sexuality and of gender. It is devastating. It has been devastating families for decades. Confusion here. It has been robbing the heart of our culture in many ways. And it has accelerated to the point where we have devastation, catastrophic devastation doled out upon children in our culture. What are we to make of the Scriptures? We've already... I spent so much time on Genesis 1.27, I figured I'd introduce this passage, but we could go back to Genesis 1.27 where God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he made them. That God made male and female in his image. That God in his infinite wisdom within the counsel of himself chose that he would reveal the wonder and the beauty of His image and of His likeness in men and women. So that in men and women, you have both unity and diversity. Within God, you have unity and diversity. Within God, you have the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And to demonstrate His image in this world, He chose to make men and women. This is profoundly significant. And because there is unity in diversity, there is also equality in the image. There is not a tiered out, this is more so and this is less than. But while there is unity, both men and women are made in the image of God, wondrously made. You, wherever you are, whatever you are, you're made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist says. And it is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who has fashioned you. He's made you in in your mother's womb. As you were born, He made you. And it is God who has the prerogative. God alone who has the prerogative to say, this is who you are. This is what you are. Not only who you are and what you are, but where you are and when you are as well. You had literally no voice in the matter. You were born when you were born, no matter how much you don't want to admit it. Don't ask me when my birthday, you can ask me, my birthday is Sunday, but uh, not today, but uh, no matter, you know, don't ask me when my, how old I am, don't ask me when my birthday is, I just, I'd rather not face the fact of it. 
Well, dear one, God said in His purpose for you that you would be born whenever you're born. God said He chose on that day of your birth that you would be born in these circumstances to these parents. For some of you, that is a tremendous gift. It's reflecting on that last night. Got to see my parents yesterday. And my dad's in his 80s and my mom doesn't want me to want you to know how old she is. I, I got in trouble for telling Evelyn May how old my mom is. And I like I got she was like, how dare you? You know, not she wasn't that bad. She wasn't like mad, mad. But just reflecting on on the goodness of God that has come into my life through them. Imperfect people and all that. But wondrous gift for some of you. That story's not the same. And maybe as I mentioned these stories that, that God said you would be born in these circumstances with these parents, that, that you find a little bit of bitterness there, and resentment. And I would say there's a knitting together of a fabric of a story for you. You didn't have a say on the when, the who, the where, what country, what century. It wasn't up to you. Now, one day, as human technology continues to advance, maybe you'll be able to do something about something, you know, time machine. If we've ever read, uh, was it the Wells, the time machine? If you've watched the movie, you say it's not a good idea to mess with time. That should, some of y'all, that, that's an old movie. <laughs> Can we start again? Can we try again? Flopping here. So there's unity, there's diversity, there's, there's diversity in men and women, there's diversity in time and places, there's diversity in uh, skin color, culture, language. There's diversity across the board. But God chose to make men and women, as He did, unique, different, bearing the image of God for the sake of productivity. No, don't misunderstand me. This isn't just a utilitarian difference. Nor is it just a reproductive difference. It is that. If you didn't know, kids, birds and the bees, it requires men and women. That's all I'm going to say. This is not that sermon. Next week might be that sermon. But that's not this sermon. But for, for Adam and Eve to take the blessing of God and be fruitful and multiply, it required Adam and Eve. God chose to fill up the earth with image-bearing worshipers by means of normal, natural generation. Men and women coming together and producing children. Those children coming together later on and producing children. And filling the earth with worshiping image-bearers. Extending the borders of the Garden of Eden. This was the design. But not only was... As God was making a, a helper, an ezer. Uh, that's, the, that's the Hebrew word. You know it from words like Ebenezer or Ebenezer, which means rock of my help. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That song makes so much sense now. Here's the rock of my help, God himself. But so often, it's like 22 times in the Old Testament, that, that, that word for Ebenezer, Ezer, Ezer uh, is referring to God. And that's the word that we have for woman as who's made a, 
a suitable helper to the man. Corresponding. Not as a servant, but one who actually accelerates God's plan. That it's by means of men and women in normal generation having children, but also Adam and Eve together doing what God had called them respectively to do in the Garden of Eden, that the garden would grow. That the productivity of the garden required both. Now, Adam is the one who is supposed to be working the ground, we see in chapter 2. So there's distinction and there's unity. Distinction and unity. Diversity and unity. And yet there is confusion here. Confusion that men and women are made in the image of God. And that gender is a gift, therefore, from the God who is the creator of all things. I once heard it told me that by someone who was transitioning from one gender to another gender that when God said he made male and female that he made it just like a it was a spectrum so that when God it's like when God said uh, you made the heavens and the earth it was it was in, to encapsulate everything that was in the heavens and the earth. It was all of these different pieces, all the different stratospheres from the from the space outside to all the way down to the core of the earth. It was a there was a spectrum. And that this person had laid hold of that in order to justify the things that they were feeling. And that's just one argument that you might encounter for an apologetic for transgenderism. Well, in fact, when God made male and female, it it follows the course of everything else we see in Genesis chapter 1. That God's creation, in order for there not to be chaos, there's order. In order for there not to be just a smudge on the map, there's distinction. He created the sky, He created the sea, He created the earth. He said, this is where the waves go, this is where the earth begins. He created day and He created night. That God's creation is wrought, it's saturated to the gills with distinction, with separation, with order, so that there would not be chaos. Because you cannot abide, we cannot live in chaos. And the beauty and the order of the Garden of Eden requires an ordered creation. And dear ones, this is unassailable. The order and the distinction of the world is, there are things, parts of it that you cannot touch. You cannot have, there is no cancel button for gravity. There are no, there are no like opt out clauses for the laws of thermodynamics. The sun rises and the sun sets. The earth spins on its axis and goes around the sun. There's, you can't interrupt it. Praise God. Somebody would try. Maybe, maybe they will. 
Well, no, when God makes male and female, he sets distinction and order because it's in an order, distinct universe, a creation that more beauty can blossom, that more productivity can happen so that more people can be born. So that more worshiping image bearers can fill the earth so that there can be paradise on earth as we see at the end of the book, the new heavens and the new earth. We see the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem coming down from the sky, but our world today wants to flip everything up. So rather than the beauty of God coming down, we would rather have the disorder of Satan coming up. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 3. We see the order so far where, uh, where God goes to Adam, God gives to Adam the authority to name the creatures. God gives to Adam the man, he gives the, to the man the God's word. With, which, with the implication that Adam would be the one who teaches Eve. Not vice versa, by the way, but that's not the sermon either. That he is the one who exercises authority by naming Eve. It's Adam who leads in leaving his father and his mother, that they would join together, leaving and cleaving. That there's distinction in unity. There's not a flattening out here. And yet at the very beginning, Adam has this authority, this role to play. He has a role to play in keeping and guarding the garden, working the ground. And so it's in this ordered world when Satan enters in, he brings disorder. This is... If Satan can do anything, right? People always say, this is what Satan's after the most. He's after a lot of things. But from the very beginning, he seeks to disrupt God's ordered world. And he seeks to disrupt God's ordered world by disrupting the order of God's image bearers. But in in order and in shaping and distinction and structure... And so when Genesis chapter 1, I mean chapter 3 verse 1 comes, he brings in and he addresses the woman. He addresses Eve. He says to her, indeed has God said. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The assumption, right, God gave that command to Adam before Eve was made. So Adam has passed this on to Eve. And Eve, for most part, she says, you know, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, touch it, or you will die. She has received this, and yet Satan goes to her. And he sows disbelief. And this is the thing. Maybe you don't see this in Satan's dealings. His demons, his minions with you. Not only does he attack the the order by introducing disorder. Greater disorder to come than what I've read. But he seeks to erode confidence about a certain characteristic of God. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? 
Do you know how he's painting God there? He's making God look stingy, tight-fisted, restrictive. That God doesn't... The implication that Satan's giving to Eve there is that God doesn't want you to be happy. You have all of this stuff here and he's just hanging it out in front of you. You can't have it. And he's opening it up. He's, he's lifting up the arm so that he can slide the knife between the ribs of saying, I can give you true joy. I can give you the satisfaction. You don't need him. You can do you. You can be de- the one who determines what's up and down and right and wrong, east and west. Couldn't you imagine Eve? You get rid of the authority, you get rid of the rule maker, the lawmaker, and you'll become free. And dear ones, that's the allure. That's the allure of disorder. That when we in our sinfulness bump up against God's ordered universe, the ordered world in which we live, rather than sinful people acknowledging, saying, You know, God has those boundaries in place for a reason. We seek rather to conquer God's order. To conquer God's order by Adam and Eve taking the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, we will now determine right and wrong. We will now be our kings and queens. We will now be the ones who are the captains of the ship, the masters of our fate. We'll be the ones... And bumping up against God's ordered universe. Rather than being those who sow productivity and extend God's ordered world and his beauty into the world. Rather, what they don't realize is that in their pursuit of self-actualization. In their their pursuit of authenticity. They're unwittingly extending the borders of the rule, the dominion of Satan, extending disorder rather than order, extending lack of distinction where God has made distinction. This is where Satan loves and he sows disorder. And so as he sows disorder to to wreak chaos in God's good world, Adam and Eve, having sinned, choose to rebel and disobey. They disobey and they reap the whirlwind, as do we. So if this is if the identity of design. There's unity, diversity, productivity. If you're keeping notes there. Uh, the identity of deceit, Satan disorders, sin disobeys. And they seek significance, but significance is lost. And if there's, if this is, can I just drill home real quick? When we say, God, you are actually wrong in how you have made me. I have this experience that I am, fill in the blank, I am a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body. The implication is, and and let me, before I kind of get all preachery, let me say, there are, I believe, people genuinely experience that sensation. Like they believe that. They believe that somehow if they can make this move, 
that something will be better. They'll be, they'll be a more realized person, a better, a better version of themselves. They'll finally become everything that they were supposed to be. There's a seeking of significance. We see this later on in Genesis chapter 11 where the peoples come together and they try to make a name for themselves. Disconnected from God, disordered from the order of God, humanity seeks its own significance because we have failed to see our significance in the image of God. Let me say that again. Humanity seeks to make its own significance because we have lost our significance or lost sight of our significance as image bearers of God. When you get disconnected from God and disorder rules in your life, you're going to be the one in charge of finding your own purpose in life, finding the meaning of life, finding what it means to be everything you're supposed to be in life. You're stuck in this loop of seeking significance. If enough people notice me at school, I'll be significant. I won't be a nobody. If enough people think I'm funny, then finally I'll I'll have arrived at significance. And you're thinking, that's just for children. You were all there. I was there. We just grow up with different sources, now seeking different sources of significance. If I find the right job, if I finally drop the belly fat, if I can finally run this fast, go this far, if people, if I finally have people under me that I can tell them what to do, if I finally have a, 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 man, a, a husband or a wife and we can have children, then I'll finally have found significance. And for some, deluded under this disordered world in which we live, they say, if I can just become this other thing, I'll finally have significance. And you need to see how that pursuit, disconnected from God, trying to establish your own authenticity, your own significance, your own self-realization, it hollows you out. And if this is you this morning, you know it. You know that this pursuit of finding your own self, finding your own way, establishing your own rule and reign, your own significance, it only leads to brokenness within you and it has led to brokenness in innumerable relationships up until this point. What happens when a man and a woman just say, or even for our day and age, a man and a man, a woman and a woman? What happens when you looked at a, you turn to that other person and say, you would, might not ever say this, or maybe you would, you are now giving me my significance. I'm now worth something because you think I'm worth something. Well, dear one, that is not only debilitating for you, but it is crushing for the other person. That person has no room to fail. And so when they do fail, all they do, rather than coming and opening it up, they shuffle it under the rug until it all blows up. When we seek to make our own significance, we actually are in the process of losing it. When we seek to make our own significance, to establish our own worth, disconnected from the God who has made you, who said what you are, when you are, where you are, whose you are, 
you actually are losing your significance. So that the thing that you believe to be most significant about yourself becomes irrelevant in the sea of choices of everyone else. Charles Taylor says that things take on importance against a background of intelligibility. Things take on importance against a background of intelligibility, meaning that your choice has importance in the fabric of the world. That with, without the fabric of gravity, how big of a deal are the Wright brothers? You know what they did, right? In, in planes? Okay. Um, it's not a big deal. So that your importance and the importance of your choice is made against the background of intelligibility. It's made against the background of God's ordered world. And if you are trying to make this choice and your choice, your self-realization, your pursuit of self-significance requires a squashing and suppressing of this background of intelligibility, this ordered universe, it actually makes your choice worthless. Because then it's just a relegated, it's a choice just like, do you want to have Bojangles for lunch? What's your favorite color? What's that cloud look like? We had that game in the car yesterday. It was fun. It becomes irrelevant and so relativized as to mean nothing. It becomes insignificant. Your pursuit of significance outside of God and his ordered world becomes ultimately futile, vain, and it sentences you to an insignificance that for some of you know, it is soul crushing. So where do we go? We've seen God's identity given to us, designed for us. We've seen the identity that the deceiver would give to us. How can we, broken in sin, rebelling against God, stuck feeling like we've got to cultivate our own worth and our own significance and our own stories, how can we find delight in who we are rather than self-loathing, despondency, and despair? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul begins to help us. And maybe for the sake of clarity, while I... You take a moment to flip there maybe or just click there or just maybe you're going to listen as I read it in a second. What precisely am I saying? That God has made men and women in his image. There is no spectrum of identity between the two. And to seek to find one, to seek a gender fluidity, to seek to believe that you are a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body is, to, is an attempt to find significance disconnected from the God and the order that he has made the universe. And ultimately, that search for significance will bottom you out and break you finally and fully unless you change today. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to heap condemnation on anyone. But dear one, you have no hope unless we come back under what God says is up, down, right, left, male, female. You will find no significance outside of the significance that you are made in the image of God and coming to Christ, you are dearly loved. Dearly, dearly, dearly loved. Yield to Him. But notice, as I read this, God will not let you be where you are. He will not let you soak up the sop of your insignificance and your pursuit of significance. He will rescue. Hear the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's pretty stark. Who's going to get in the kingdom? This is another way it says, who's going to get in heaven? Who's not going to be there? The unrighteous will not inherit it. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just pause. These are those. There is a danger of deception. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, those who are seeking sexual gratification outside of the boundaries of the covenant marriage. Idolaters, those who would hold up other gods higher than God himself, worshiping other things, serving other things. Adulterers, those who break covenant relationship, uh, marriage relationship. Uh, The effeminate, this is predominantly talking about the passive member in a homosexual intercourse. Um, But it's also those men who will abandon manhood, those women who will abandon womanhood, I think covers under that word, nor homosexuals, those who would be uh, the active participant in such unions, nor thieves, straightforward, stealing other things, nor the covetous, those, those who are saying, I wish if I had these other things, I would be full, nor drunkards, those who are partic- par, uh, partake, partaking of uh, alcoholic beverages to the max and to extremes so that they are drunk, um, uh, drunkenness, revilers, those who holler insults, swindlers, those who cheat people will inherit the kingdom of God. So I want, I want to kind of couch that because it's not everybody, every time you read this, you hear a preacher read it, they might be talking about homosexuality or something else like that. But you need to see the, this, this full orb list that might heap condemnation upon you today. Whether or not you are dealing with transgenderism or homosexuality or something else. And then verse 11 is just remarkable. And it's almost so remarkable that we, do, we just read it and just keep going. But he says to this church in Corinth, to the saints, such were some of you. 
And how long would it take for us to begin to unpack that here? This is where I was. This is what I did. This is what I believed. This is where my life was. This is what I saw in myself. This is where I, I was broken and I was breaking. This is where I was hating and I was, I was hated and I was hating. This is, look at where I was. How we should be able to say, such was I. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. How will we be reconciled to God and being reconciled to God be finally reconciled to ourselves? It is this work of God's Spirit through the Gospel of Christ alone. It is Christ alone that will bring you back to God who reorders your world. Who truly gives you significance even if nobody else ever sees it. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were made clean. This is the imagery of baptism. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit applying the blood of Christ to filthy sinners' hearts. Though our sins were scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And dear one, if you've never known this, if you've never known the cleansing of the power of God through the sacrifice of Christ, come to Jesus today. Your conscience does not have to be heaped up with condemnation. You don't have to be so confused within yourself that you're at odds with yourself 99% of the time. Cry out to Christ to save you. To say, change my mind, change my heart, change my will. Turn me. Because such were some of you. He does not say, such are some of you. You once were dead, now you're alive. You were there, now you're here. You were under the domain of darkness, but Christ has transferred you. God has transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Colossians 1.13 You were washed, you were sanctified. That the benefit of Christ is not just the forgiveness of sins. Praise God for the forgiveness of sins. But He makes you holy. Sanctified, that's what that word means. You are set apart. And so that as you grow up into Christ-likeness, even 30, 40, 50 years later, it is blood-bought holiness. But you were justified. He's working back. You're declared righteous. Could you imagine that God would count fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and the effeminates and homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, that he would say righteous in Christ. And this is in fact what he does with the gospel. Please understand this. 
the call of the gospel to you today. The, the summons to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. To repent and believe. It is not if I could grab you all and shake you by the shoulders. Some of you would be down here. Some of you would be up here. Joseph, thinking about you, buddy. It is not a call for you to go home, go, I'm going to do better, try harder, and then maybe next week at church I'll come and pray, the, pray with the pastor. It's not a call for you to go home and be better version of yourself. To say, I'm going to quit my adultery. I'm going to quit my idolatry. I'm going to quit my homosexuality. And then I'm going to come to Jesus. That's not what the gospel says. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. What you need today. Right now, your mind's saying, I'm, oh, I've got all of this sin, Jacob. You don't even know. Got all this baggage, all this backstory. Okay. Bring it to Jesus. Say, Lord, you know this. You've seen this. It is abhorrent to you. And I hate it too, but it's stuck to me. And I need it off. I need freedom. I need true significance. And I tell you this. What Christ says, that whoever comes to him, he will certainly not cast out, will be true of you. Come to Christ. Change your mind today, saying, I'm not the authority I don't get to determine my significance. Just like I didn't determine the who, the what, where, and the when, the how I was born. The full life, the abundant life that you need is only found in Christ. Come to Jesus. And in a moment, when we all stand up, this is, what, this is, this is the invitation. We're all going to sing together, and the, the thing to you is to respond. You've heard the good news. Jesus has died for your sins. Everyone who believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Whatever you got, Jesus' blood is better. Bigger, better, and will provide forgiveness. If you're a child of God, you're a, you're a Christian, and yet you feel these chains... You feel the chains of confusion, of disorder, some of these particular sins. Come and pray. Let it go. Give it to Christ. Ask Him to come and rule in you to work out repentance, change in you. For it is by grace you have been saved, and by grace you will be brought home. Such were some of you, such were some of us. Would that number grow today? It might be you right now, but when you leave this place, it could be were behind you. Let's pray.
Lord, I ask for mercy upon us. Upon some who are wrestling and fighting inwardly right now. And so much of their own pursuit of self and of significance and of fullness has just led to devastation. They're stuck in despair. They're confused and darkened. And right now, Holy Spirit, would you bring a piercing light that they would hear the call of Christ to come. Come alive. Come to the fountain. And would they? Would they turn and run to Jesus? For your saints who are beleaguered in these days, would you give courage? Would they find fresh, robust confidence in your word, in yourself, in the ordered world in which you have made that will be set right. For those who are in the bondage of gall and bitterness, as Scripture says, those who are yours, but they're bound up in something, I pray, O Lord, that you would grant them freedom. Freedom from the addiction. Freedom from the inner turmoil. Freedom from past guilt. Freedom from present sin. Freedom, O God, in Christ alone. Would you give them grace to come and to let it go? To trust what you have said. Trust what you have done. And trust your Spirit's work in them now. But God, would you give us all the grace to respond as you would have us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.